Hello, this is Ryan. Hi, this is Tim. We don't have ads. Well, now we do. This is an ad. We <laughs> ask for you to please tell a friend if you're enjoying our show. And of course, leaving a review on iTunes helps out tremendously. It'd be awesome if you guys could do that. Either way, though, we thank you for being here. On, on with the, the show. turned out to be completely unreliable assholes. Hello, Tim. Oh, you startled me, Ryan. How apropos. And hello, everyone. <laughs> I, I was trying to think if there's a way I could startle you listening, but wait, wait, wait. Hello, everyone. Welcome Whoa. to <laughs> Dismembering Horror, the podcast shoe where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan. That's right. We dismember a horror film every week. We talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we, these two knuckleheads, found interesting or noteworthy about a horror <laughs> film. We're, we're seeking knowledge, we're seeking films, we're seeking to learn from the experience of others by submitting ourselves to this experience, all in good fun, all in a good fun space of friends, as I said, knuckleheads getting together to say, uh, well, yeah, well, what did work? Yeah, well, what didn't work? Yeah, well, what else has this movie got going on that may be interesting or noteworthy? We do all exactly that. And such is life, Tim, filled with the good and the bad, the yin and the yang, the mixed emotions of it all. I was so happy to finally reach talking about Scream 4 for our October <laughs> 2020 Screamathon, the one I've been most excited to talk to you about, the one you haven't seen at all. But I say mixed emotions because it is already over. Here we are. <laughs> such- yeah, but, but it being over means that it's almost Halloween. Right. So happy Halloween to everyone. Indeed. Hotto's Eve, wherever. You, you've got, well, if you're listening to this on Thursday, you've got a day, two days. You've got two days. Yeah. Until the great Halloween. What are you watching? Maybe you watched all four Scream movies and you're listening to all four of these. Mm. That would just make that us so happy. Exciting. So, Tim... Tim, Tim, Tim. Yes, yes, Ryan. If you've been with us uh, and everyone listening <laughs> these last handful of episodes, including when we announced we'd be doing the Scream films, well, uh, you'll you'll get where you'll get my next question. Otherwise, you might be a little. What, what is he talking about? But Tim, the suspense of finally being able to talk to you about Scream Four, the twists, mm. the turns, the what worked, what didn't work. The biggest question I have to ask you right off the bat is did you flip out when there is a whole sequence set at a barn? <laughs> I did. I truly did. I was so weirded out by it. <laughs> what the hell? How, like, what are, it's, I mean, it's obviously a coincidence, but like, what is going on did in the you, world? Are you sure you didn't see the a trailer when this movie came out? Like, how I, did, barn... I mean, who the, who knows? So Just tip... who knows? All I know is, that 
I'm not going to chalk it up to any sort of like previous, you know, like previous thing like you just mentioned. I'm going to chalk it up to something we we hold near and dear to our hearts, which is synchronicities. Mm-hmm. I think it's a synchronicity. Uh, if you don't remember or know from when we teased this episode at the end of our Babysitter Killer Queen episode, Tim said, all I know is about three or four. Is it like one of them has a scene in a barn or something? And that I was, mean, specifically three. Yeah. Because I, I knew I had not seen four. Right, right, right. So finally, when we got to Scream 3, Tim, you were all, okay, it was actually just the the set that I was thinking of, of just sort mm-hmm. of the... Um, the the wood panels sticking out, you know, it looked, looked kind of barnish to you, which I get. Yeah. A studio set. But lo and behold, yeah. Scream 4, a full <laughs> scene sequence at a barn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Great. Not gonna lie. Great, great, great. Well, to keep on trucking, unless you have anything else, uh, do you want to watch the trailer? How you doing? <laughs> I'm I'm okay. I'm doing okay, Ryan. Thanks for asking. How are you? Fine. I'm, as I said, I'm very excited to talk to you. Um, I think we can watch the trailer. All right. Here it is. The last Scream released as of the recording. The last Scream ever to be directed by Wes Craven from 2011 Scream 4. What's your favorite scary movie? Here is my Woodsboro Massacre anniversary question. What is your favorite scary movie? What's your favorite scary movie? One generation's tragedy is the next one's joke. What is your favorite scary movie, man? I'll show you. This week marks the anniversary of the infamous Woodsboro murders. Local celebrity victim, Sydney Prescott, chose to return to her hometown. Welcome home, Sydney. Watch the preview of coming events. What do you want? Who is this? He's trying to do ghost face. I'm standing in the closet. Liar. I can't believe 2011 was that long ago. I remember seeing this in theaters at the Arclight and just being so excited and having a blast. Now it's like 10 years old. I'm trying to like, what the hell was I doing in my life that I didn't go see this or at least like stream it at some point after it, you know, was available? Like, it's so strange to me. Seeing all the movies that you have watched, Tim, like why would and you being a horror fan, like why would you not see the new Scream I, I don't know. I almost feel like I just didn't know it existed somehow. Yeah. Like uh, it just kind of eluded me it's very strange because i i loved it yeah that was the big even well i don't know if it was bigger than the barn equal to the barn suspense (laughs) what i wanted to ask you was uh if you loved it as i do and did and have this is my third viewing and have a blast every single time every single time it's great it's so well i mean it's it's very clear what the difference between a Kevin Williamson written screen movie is and a not Kevin Williams 
William Williamson. Yeah. <laughs> Scream movie written movie. <laughs> oh my god, I'm having a stroke. Just going in circles. Ah! Um, you know what I mean? It's so like it's kind of amazing actually to to see such a stark example of a writer's voice. Like the third one really really just doesn't have his voice and it's yeah it's it's kind of amazing it's missing uh immediately clear that was yeah it's missing that 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 x factor the williamson factor it's there's something to it it is always kind of incredible it's interesting though too it's like it's important that i think it, it comes from him but like even learning a bit about this one like at a certain point they did hand over to sort of those last minute write rewrite duties to the writer of scream three watching the commentary Wes craven was like oh mm. i wrote all this dialogue oh the ghost face improvised that line you know it's just that's cool it's cool how this yeah equal in equal parts is just sort of the like kevin williamson sort of points the direction it feels like and like gives that dialogue just that overarching scream yeah. thing and then everyone else kind of latches on to it because it sounds like a lot of the times the direction he wants to go, like I read about it and I'm like, oh, I don't like that as much actually. Like what either the studio or Craven or the other writer sort of like took with his original, original premise or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I'm not as crazy about some of his aspects, like whether it was, you know, for Scream 3 actually, you know, he wrote Scream 3 to be you know, to, to take place in Woodsboro. But what one thing we loved about Scream 3 was the, you know, taking right. it to Hollywood and setting it during the production of Stab 3. Like, that wasn't him, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it sort of speaks to the thing that we talked about that works about the first movie is that there is a very collaborative thing going on. And they were really kind of everybody's, you know, buckling down and trying to, you know, give their two cents but also their their best two cents to make a great thing yeah and that i feel like you know it's it's impossible for us to parse this but it seems like having williamson like very involved and then having people around who are willing to be like let's you know let's workshop this idea into the best version of it like that seems to be the combo that that works the best, right? Well, I'm let's. I want to keep up talking about what was great and what worked. So, in order to get to wet work, what worked, we gotta do. I our... want to get to wet work. <laughs> Blo- <laughs> bloody wet. This one, boy, was this film wet and bloody. Uh, mm-hmm. Tim, how about our summary? Uh, do you want to rate it first? Yes. Sorry. I'm just like, oh, we already just both said we loved it. I know. I know. Buy Uh, it. Yeah, we can make that quick. Buy it. Great. Um, Also, just buy buy them all. Buy the box set. Yeah. Like, if you see a box set for this, come on. I mean, talk about just, like, reliable modern slasher franchise. Or just, I don't even want to say modern anymore, just, like, one of the great slasher franchises. Even, even, Even in spite of the third one being weaker, it still was fun. Yeah, yeah. So what the hell? Yeah, anyway, so, okay, summary. Here we go. Ready? Ten years later, Dewey and Gail, <laughs> still married. Dewey's this now the sheriff of Woodsboro. They've moved back. 
Gail struggles to find her place in the world as being a retired journalist and now a full-time writer, but she hasn't written anything in a while. That small-town life isn't suiting yep, her. She hasn't had inspiration. It's been 10 years since a ghost face murder. And that really is what she's good at. But, lo and behold, somebody else has found inspiration, and that would be Sydney. And she's really made a turn in her life. She's stepped out of the shadows, <laughs> which is the title of her new book that is on shelves. And she's having a book signing in Woodsboro to celebrate the book and the anniversary of the original murders. So, we then meet a new cast of teenagers, high school teenagers, who actually look like they're in high school. We did it! We arrived! And murders start happening again. And shit, they're going after Sydney's family. It's her niece. And, you know, she's implicated. Sydney's implicated. Everybody's a suspect, as Dewey says, of course. So, no, you know, Sydney can't just run away. And uh, antics ensue. Twist, 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 twist. <laughs> yeah, it you know, just wasn't your, the person you expected, antics. but also awesome and lots of really good deaths. And um, I'm just picturing those gruesome deaths and those intestines so played out and just hearing you say antics ensue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, OK, so then the the twist, the ending twist is that it the killers. We know that it's multiple killers in this one, which is great. And uh, it turns out the killers are Sydney's niece and uh, one of the movie geek guys. He's kind of the new Randy, sort of. Right. So we have Jill Emma Roberts as Jill Roberts. Funny. And mm -hmm. <laughs> Rory Culkin as Charlie Walker. Right. So they're, they're the killers. They've been orchestrating all of this. Lots of really good Mr. X to get us there. Um, and their motive is... Well, mainly Jill's motive is that she felt like she was always in the shadow of Sydney, which is cool um, since Sydney just came out of the shadows. You know what I'm saying? Um, and in a world where social media is a driving force for teenagers, she wants her 15 minutes of fame. And she recruited Rory um, Culkin. What was his name? Charlie. Oh, right, Charlie. She recruited him so that they could be f become famous and they like each other, mm -hmm. right? Um, and he can get he can also, very stew-ish, get back at the girl who's ignored him for four years. He's got that kind of toxic masculinity angle going on. And, um, but then twist, Jill kills... Charlie because she wants the fame all to herself. And then she kills Sydney. But twist, Sydney's not dead. And they end up in the same hospital because of course Jill has, you know, made it look like she was a victim of all of this. That's part of the plan. Oh, oh does she indeed? <laughs> yeah. And but then she slips up. 
because she says she mentions、uh, a wound that Ghostface gave Gale、uh, that only Ghostface and Dewey and maybe a doctor would know about, and so she tips her hand. Gale and Dewey figure this out last second and go running to save Sydney, who is now being attacked by Jill in the hospital after <laughs> almost being killed by her. Uh, fight, fight, fight! Fun, fun, fun!、Uh, they get her with, I think, one of the greatest end line <laughs> moments of of all movie history. <laughs> I literally was yelling, "What?" <laughs> so I'll describe it. So they're in the hospital room. Looks like Sydney's in bad shape. Jill has gotten the upper hand. She's shot the、uh, the deputy who kind of has a thing for Dewey, who's run in. She's got a gun. She's holding it to Dewey's head, essentially, who she's already like incapacitated. And Gail is is about to. She's sort of the last one standing. And Gail distracts Jill.、Uh, By stalling her because she can see that Sydney has gotten up and has turned on the defibrillator, and Gail says, "I just have one word for you," and Jill says, "What's that?" <laughs> <laughs> and Gail says, "Clear," as Sydney puts the paddles to Jill's head, and. It is so satisfying and so stupid, but also the greatest thing ever. Because I'm guessing you like the teamwork aspect at play to it. The I just I do I love I love a good stall. You know, yeah. Like you gotta stall him. You she got her right, and then she says clear. She says clear, and then she gets paddled in the head. Like it's so fun. Well, what's and so ridiculous? So good. I mean, we're slipping into what worked already, but just we're, we're on it. It's so good because、um, uh, what Jill Emma Roberts, our bad gal, she is so she does not know what to make of that word. Clear, like what? Like what are you talking? It's like it's just, yeah, but it happens so good. Yes. Well, let's talk about why that works in what works. But anyway, that's the that's the story. That's the that's the summary.、Um, you know, they they win in the end. Sydney survives. It's great. It is great. All right, let's talk about why it's all great in our next section. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm. What worked? So, he, the, I I I don't think I ever would have thought about this, but seeing how it works makes you understand how to do it correctly. I think, or、uh, at least one way to do it correctly,、um, what, so that it'll work. What is it? The it is the uh, it, it's the one liner. Oh, it's this moment. Great. <laughs> so this moment, this this is a end of the movie one liner, and usually what you see in in most movies is one liners are sort of like they're almost like dad jokes. They're like 
They're like gotcha, uh, clever whatevers, right? And they end up most of the time being pretty cheesy and just kind of dumb. Like, for example, let's take one of the worst ones ever, but I think is funny, but it's it's horrible. In in the <laughs> in Commando, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Commando, at the end he throws a pipe through a guy's chest, the bad guy. And it like hits a it hits a they're in like an industrial whatever and steam literally comes out of the pipe that has impaled this this bad guy and Arnold says let off some steam Tim, right we, we don't even have to we know what these end lines are it's it's, it's what so Arnold dumb. says at the end of every Arnold movie <laughs> my favorite is at the end of True Lies when he launches him off in his rocket and right before he launches him he says you're fired. <laughs> Right, so they're really dumb because they're just they're lines that are written, well, right? Like they're specifically written for that like impact of like God, ha ha ha, got him. So why does this one not feel so stupid? It's because it's actually serving a purpose in the story to delay the person to you know what I mean? Like it's it's it has such a specific purpose to keep her attention, confuse her, and stall her. It works and in that it does not have a pun related to it, but ex- exactly. Don't make it a pun. You know, I had a I had a I, had I was a saying that English as a minus, teacher. but <laughs> Well, no, but I think that's true. I think in order to really make them work, you avoid the pun, at least in the construction of it. If it comes around and you go, oh, you know, it'd be even better is if it if it has this nuance to it. That's fine. But I think when you're building it, don't just write a one liner, write circumstance that that would actually make sense to have a one liner. Mm hmm. And so, like, I used to have a, uh, or I had a English teacher. I think it was seventh grade, I believe. His name was uh, Mr. Defusto. He was great, um, but he used to he used to get really wound up and be like, "Puns are the lowest form of literary humor." And it's like, okay, man. Like, nobody's arguing for puns, <laughs> but great, good to know. But in a way, he's kind of right. Like it's it is a very sort of simple way of approaching a joke. You don't have to don't start at the pun. Start at the circumstance. If the pun happens, fine. (laughs) But like I love that this is the construct. It's here's just simply because it's all about story We're, We're it's a device in this moment to help push the story forward and it happens to be the final moment. So it's even better and it creates catharsis because it is a punchline, but it doesn't have, it doesn't need the like, the like, ha 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 ha. We're so clever part of it. So All right, that's my bit. <laughs> um, I, I think what worked, um, for me about that last line too is uh gail weathers it seemed very true to her character exactly something about it just it feels like what she would improvise in the moment her kind of weird nonsense of humor humor um it 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 played in that sense so tim if we can talk 
this much about a single line from this film. <laughs> Why it worked I'm for not, us. Jesus, no kidding. Should we perhaps zoom out and talk about more some of the, the our, our wider overarching things, which we could stick with the ending or go to the opening? Yeah, let's let's go back to the let's go back to the beginning and t- start there. Maybe that's, that'll make more sense. That's good because it's like okay, scream movie ten years later. What are we doing? How do we do it? <laughs> and I think the way you do it is with this very opening. I can't. It is. Think in, of it is incredibly brilliant. It's 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 well, yeah. So it's it's what Wes Craven called the triple opening. Which yep. is where it's we have the intro to stab. Is it five or six? Six. Six. Play out as if it could be the real movie. Then right. that transitions into new characters watching stab six, which who think- are I'm shocked. I was like, wait, these two are in it. It's um, Anna Paquin, Anna Paquin, and Kristen Bell. Yeah, and <laughs> lo and behold. Perfect moment there. So, you know, Anna Paquin says some line about needing to surprise. The, you can't surprise the audience anymore. And um, Emma, Kristen Bell, stabs her in the chest. No ghost face mask or anything. Stabs her in the stomach, actually. Um, yeah. That turns out to just be stab uh, seven. <laughs> it's stab seven, but it's stab seven being meta because they're doing the movie in the movie up. Uh- uh, stab seven watching stab six right. in the movie stab seven so there it's so fucking so smart then, to play off of that f- construct finally when we do get to a more extended um opening scream scene which is the same setup two girls watching this <laughs> movie that we just thought was our movie um yeah. get killed off by that point we don't we don't know if we're watching another stab or scream finally. And that's right. what's so brilliant about, like, remember I was talking about how you need to do the meet the audience where they're at and then usurp that expectation to do exactly. the scream thing to make us come in at the proper stakes where anything could happen and then deliver and then use that to then deliver on the, the gravitas, the weight of this violence. So on so many levels it's working where it's just that that you you don't know if you, what you're watching the fact that there is a slight progression between the first stab that they're watching the second stab that they're watching and then the actual scream for that they're watching as far as kind of maybe cheesy factor it's <laughs> it's it's pretty smart that was deliberate um you have then the 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 violence and impact of the one that is the actual scream watching like it's a good like scene like this the ghost face straight up says basically i'm just gonna play with you before killing you and he does in a horrific way and by the time that knife comes down we're that kind scene's of really really well shot yeah like, it, we i like talk about moving into like the modern movie stylistic like filming style it's fucking intense it's it's slick like there's really like pretty shots in it. There's like a lot of good cutting. It's just performance is good. It it does it feels fucking intense and real and and you're in it. Right. So maybe just to skip around, not jump ahead, but other overarching things like this is what with it's probably one of the things that immediately stood out to me why this one was so good. It's because it felt like 
like what you just said about camera, you know, using camera techniques wise, make sure it is, if this is what, you know, um, 11, you know, 10 years after the third one, but what, 15 years after the first one or whatever, Mm -hmm. make sure that evolution of the camera work is there. Use the technology. But what's so important Mm -hmm. for a slasher movie is do that with the violence too. They up the violence in this one in a way that feels so appropriate. It's like, it felt like the equivalent of where the first scream was at when that one came out. It felt like even still 10 years later, still, I don't know. That's what's interesting about how even this is nine years, 10 years older now, it still feels pretty darn contemporary, which makes me curious how they're doing scream five. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, yeah. Talk about that violence, that first, um, or not the first one, but when their their next door neighbor friend gets murdered, and we Ooh. there's the blood is covering the room, and we see the multiple stabs. And when Sydney comes in and sees the aftermath, her it's the first time yeah. we see this intestines are literally hanging out of her yeah, stomach. Yeah, she's disemboweled. It's, it's grotesque. It's a lot. <laughs> and then of course, like, but then we use it for the. I want to say, I guess it is fun in the slasher movie sense of just kind of drawn out deaths and just having fun with you know deaths in the way that you only can with the slasher film but anthony anderson's death the two cops death he gets (laughs) stabbed in the head stands up walks away it's it's great and yeah like in the forehead (laughs) (laughs) not something you see very often and he (laughs) yeah He's walking around trying to swing, but there's too much blood in his eyes from his forehead wound just pouring <laughs> down his face. Like It's really – it's it's right on that cusp of Evil Dead over the top. Like it almost becomes slapstick, but they do a very good job of not going too far with it and being like, oh, shit. Like this is this is a lot, but it's still kind of grounded. Yeah. Um, I feel like I kind of just took took the reins and ran with talking about like why the, that triple opening, as it's called, was so good. Do mm. you have anything else? I'd, I'd love to hear if you had anything else to add, like why, how is that doing the scream thing? How is that the perfect way to start a scream for? Well, I mean, I, I, I just completely agree with you. Cool. It's It's the meeting the audience where they need to be. I mean, they're doing the thing you need to do, which is, is reestablishing that there is this trope of the movie in the movie in these movies. <laughs> and, you know, I think in a way what it, what it really broadly does is actually prepare us for the second thing we just talked about, which is the, the le- like heightened, uh, gratuity and gruesomeness of the murders. It actually primes us for that. You go, look, we're going to give you basically the same scene three times in a row, and each one of those is going to be pretty intense. So now you know what movie you're in, right? Like now you can kind of go, okay, I'm primed up. I know what to expect for the rest of the ride, and I'm not going to be, you know, nauseated or like offended by it like if if you are expecting something else the movie tells you what it is in the first 15 minutes very not even first seven minutes very clearly and i think that's a super smart way to kind of reestablish what it is and like especially after 10 years 
to to be like completely showing your hand. This is what we're doing for this movie. D- you know, if you're not on board, go watch something else. Well, it's at this it's sort of saying at this point everything is so self-aware and so meta. We just have to make it feel like the snake eating its own tail. It's a movie. It's in mm-hmm. a movie within 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 a movie. You know, it just puts you in that, <laughs> yeah. in that place in an interesting way, effective no, way. No, I think it's exactly it, exactly what you need in order to re sort of because it is in a way. It's a. I mean, it is a sequel, but it is also a little reboot ish. Because of how much time has passed, we have a whole new cast of. I guess we kind of got a whole new cast with the second or the third one too. Right. But no, but I feel but like still this is the way I want. I I'm be fine with screen movies existing the rest of our lives if they like wait fifteen ten years between each one. You know. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Definitely. So. Tim, this is what I've really been most excited to ask you about since I know your probably your favorite thing about these movies is the who done it aspect and the twists. Mm. Were those effective for you and if so, how? Okay, so this one is the first one of any of them. Well, I guess that's not true. I was going to say, this is the first one where I was like, yeah, there's just no real way to know who it is. But I guess three, it's like, how would you know? That that one does it wrong. This one does it right because it's the essentially the character closest to Sydney, which I think is really important. Um, so it, it does sort of re-up on what, made the first one so effective, but takes it, it's taking the thing that didn't work about the third one and melding it together with what worked about the first one. And you, you really shouldn't expect Jill to be the killer. Of course, at some point it crossed my mind. I was like, maybe it's her. Cause you're doing that with everyone in these exactly. movies. Exactly. Exactly. And I thought there was pretty good evidence to support it, but it's not heavy-handed at all. They don't lean on it. They keep it just sort of out of reach enough. Um, And, of course, I mean, again, remember that this is – the third one fails because the construct of having two killers allows you to never really be able to know who it could be because there's always going to be a moment when – the one of the two people can or either of the two people who are killers can uh what would be the opposite of incriminate themselves they can de-incriminate <laughs> themselves by being present when a kill is happening well and it happens in the first moments with Emma Roberts uh, sorry i say her character name Jill Roberts um <laughs> right <laughs> um when she's the first one, when it's the three of them to, as friends in the car at the beginning, yeah. she she's the one who gets the call from Ghostface. Right. So immediately that just kind of, and Tim, this is, God, rewatching it, this is one of my favorite things about this movie, just moments, this encapsulates everything, what's so good about these movies. Do you remember uh, Hayden Panettiere as Kirby's first line to Jill? When she sees she, she, Hayden Panettiere, Jill, um, Kirby, she oh. sees Jill walking out of the house. 
shit, I remember thinking to myself, I remember acknowledging the line was good and funny. It's, it's basically, she says. It's like, don't kill me or something yeah, she like says, that. she says, promise me you aren't going to kill me. Something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Which yeah, yeah. says <laughs> straight up the, the end of the movie. I, know. I love that. It's so good. So good. Yeah, I mean, this is the beauty of writing this type of movie. Because you, the writer, obviously know the ending. And, like, props to really, really smart and good writers for being able to to weave the answer in without tipping their hand and showing us the answer. Yeah. It's so good. You know, Jordan Jordan Peele is incredibly good at this too, right? I mean, when you rewatch Get Out, <laughs> it's like it's like, "Oh my god, every single line is literally speaking to the fact of what's going to happen, but you cannot know it because it's so masterfully done." And so, yeah, I I just think I would love I I mean, I look forward to rewatching this. Yeah. For that reason, because then you can really peel apart all of the nuance that exists when you know the ending. Oh, I mean, it's just like Jill Roberts. You just are so just creeped out by her the whole time. It's so great. It's so yeah. great. <laughs> and you're just yelling at like, Sydney, don't you know? Like, can't you tell? <laughs> Dude, yeah, it's really, it's just so, so solid. It's so solid in exactly the same way that the first one is. Yeah, in, um, All of the little misdirects are working. Every character has a point of view. They're fleshed out people. We we care about them because we understand their point of view. Right. We're misdirected appropriately by like the camera work and like the lingering on certain people and the music cues. You know, so like especially Jill's boyfriend, right? Like they really try to hammer that home. As a misdirect, it's like, great. But part of why we get on board with that possibility is because we care about Jill because Sydney cares about Jill. Yeah. And then we go, oh, shit, we don't want to see what happened to Sydney happen to Jill. Maybe the killer is Jill's ex-boyfriend who crawls through the windows just like Billy did. You know what I mean? It's all laid out for us to suspect him story-wise but also camera-wise like we get those long sort of lingering takes of him standing there after a conversation (laughs) looking angry so and it's like we should know better we know it's not going to be him but because this world basically says there are no rules we're like well maybe they're doing the thing where they're trying to let us think that it's him but it's not him but it actually is him because they're playing a trick on us it's like oh shit it's same with uh i just the other I just trying to think of what are the other big fun Mr. X pos- possible options they're working with. The the cops who she has the crush on Dewey. Oh, her scene where she's like in shadows and says to Sydney, oh. uh, don't you remember me? We went to school together. We were in draw. It's like it's so fun. Yeah. She's yeah, great. I, she's so sh- funny. That shadow light work in that scene is fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, Marley Shelton is deputy Judy Hicks. So funny. Yeah. All of that shit. I mean, it's just, it is a, it's exactly what a screen movie is supposed to be. 
And including, um, Tim, I had to think of you too, and I was wondering what you thought about it. The equivalent of what we had in the first three of the midpoint Randy scene. Yes, so it's about four minutes earlier than it it was in the previous movies, but that's okay. This movie is a little bit, I think this movie is a couple minutes shorter than the other ones. No, I think it's longer with that, the sort of the fourth ending. It's 150, uh, an hour, 50 minutes. Are the other ones really that long? They don't feel like it. This says 111 minutes. Yeah. Right. so. So 150, an hour, 50 hour 51 yeah well we'll have to look um anyway so the yes how do i say this i have i have thoughts on both sides of this yes it's in the right place yes it does pretty much what we expect it to do yes it's a nod to the randy scenes we're talking about and, the film club scene at the middle yes when they all... and and lays out rules um, it also does a, an, an interesting thing, which it, it tells us – actually, it tells us the rules of the previous movies, in particular the first movie, which is the next act needs to be at a party. Um, so this movie actually is in five acts. I don't know if you – caught on to that because they need to do the first three acts that match up with the first screen movie and then they need to have the last two acts the fourth and fifth act which round that out well it's this was one of the things that struck me too why i just thought was so brilliant and why i loved it so much when i first saw it and still do of course was how yeah in that that middle scene they tell us, okay, you know, final party scene. But then now we have our, you know, because it's a modern slasher, we have our surprise uh, fourth or, you know, fourth section, our actual ending, the second ending. So what's so much fun about this is you're, you're watching this thinking it basically does exactly that and tells you, what, what am I trying to say? It tells you the thing you're... You think you're getting what it tells you, but then it actually gives you the thing that it's telling you that you're going to get. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? So, yeah, we think that, okay, well, of course, it's not actually going to be over at the barn because that's what they told us. So, ah, it's this end house party, the after party. That's the finale. But no, right. then it gives us the actual surprise ending at the hospital so right good. and that's that's sort of what i mean in terms of the five act i'd see it still thing. as when you're watching it though i mean this is just mincing terms it does feel yeah. the um it i don't know something about when they're at the barn does feel more second act e when you're looking at it in the big picture it, it is it is i agree it is an actuality but in the construct of what the characters in the movie deem as the relation to the first sort of construct of the first movie there, you know, when they're talking about the rules of the scream movies, which becomes a weird meta thing because they're actually talking about the rules of the stab movies. Um, that's what I mean. The, the, the characters in that moment are referencing stab and saying the third act has to be the barn party. But in in the actual movie we are watching, that 
is only the it's basically the second half of the second act of the whole movie but then what you're saying and i agree with we then get a third act this is so dumb what are we talking about <laughs> think of it this way just for clarification <laughs> third act structure this is a lesson in in three act structure for films in actuality it's four equal parts it's act one act 2a act 2b and act three all of those sections are the same time length essentially so act two is is double time traditionally speaking what this movie is doing is adding one more section to that construct and i'm trying to think of like they are right there's lots of i do feel like in some of these remakes and modern horror films action films too it is mm -hmm. a thing we do have this sort of surprise last act uh, uh set piece usually whatever yep yeah, actually, you know who who does it a lot is um, what's his name? Um, shit, comedy director Judd Apatow. Uh, Judd Apatow, yeah, yeah. He often does a five act structure in those comedies because you get these big set pieces. Anyway, so yeah, it's doing that thing. So however you want to slice that down, what's actually happening is there are about five equal length sections of this movie well and what does what does work about it so much is it makes it so once we do get to that hospital finale it's mm -hmm. just all feels like just icing on the cake it's everything about it, it really does it's yeah. so it's so it just it satisfies it feels like it's paying everything off because i mean okay i just kind of want to skip now to the the whole ending whether you call it the fourth the fifth act whatever the, the last let's call it just the last act the last chunk of including the sort of after party <laughs> leading into sure. the hospital so i mean this the standout thing for me in this is emma roberts uh jill roberts as jill roberts um committing the self-harm that whole sequence where she's she she <laughs> rams yeah. herself against like the, the 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 picture frame she jumps like backwards onto a glass table she takes a knife and this is my favorite when she takes the knife puts it over her shoulder and then runs against the wall and then afterwards <laughs> she like screams and then kicks over the lamp in anger just <laughs> her playing crazy yeah. is just the best best thing and what it's yep. doing so well and i thought like just why it was how the, they sort of introduce these themes of what her her main plot is, you know, her her evil plot, not only just sort of uh, the the Sydney jealousy, but the sort of the the social media fame. Why should I have to work for anything? It's just kind of like the it's almost irony, but just seeing what she she's still she's she's causing the worst kind of self inflicted physical harm on her. She's not not doing anything to be social media famous. And it's mm -hmm. just so it's so juicy just how, how watching that play out. It's like no, no, you aren't not doing anything and just that those ideas coupled with her performance and then all that leads to this most satisfying when the whole movie is when I just got so excited I remember every time I see this when Dewey 
trying, you know, it's being all comforting to her. Oh, yeah, you're going to make it. It's okay. And we just see her lying through her teeth, you know. It's like, oh, I don't want her to get away with it. She's just lying to Dewey. <laughs> and when Dewey <laughs> tells her the news that actually Sydney might be okay. We don't know yet. She's touch and go. Just like, that's just so satisfying. Just like, uh, Oh, the look that. on her face, too, is yeah. amazing. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's incredible. Well, you know what it reminds me, too, is that Remember, in the first one and the second one, and me, not really in the third one. In the first two, they really emphasize this duality of philo- philosophical motive and personal motive. And this has that as well, right? But it has it in relation to the time, right? So in the first one, it was the end of the 90s, right? It was sort of this like, it's pre 9-11. It's this era of, you know, affluent, privileged kids kind of don't know what to do with themselves because they live in this weird bubble of world. And the philosophical side of their motive is somewhat nihilistic and kind of just like we're just doing it to do something. In this one, the philosophical motive is the fame. It is very apropos to 2011 the rise of social media, the rise of – I mean this is right when the term influencer was starting to kind of enter into our whatever brains or our world. Um, I'm not even sure the term had started yet, but the YouTube star or Vine star had started. And that idea, the philosophical motive – idea of that is very much there and then dually we have jill's personal motive which is in direct relation to sydney which as it should be right like billy's motive was directly related to sydney Stu's was more philosophical and broad um and that- so that that like that they're do like as they should they're doing the thing that should be the you know the construct of the motives in a screen movie um, and also just the aspect of coming full circle from the first one and having the the the, the killer's plot be be reflective of the killer's yeah. plot in the first movie of being self aware right. of it in that sense the killer is being self aware in it of that sense where you know they straight up say it's like we're gonna make ourselves the Sydney and Randy survivors of this one <laughs> right right it's so cool yes. It it really is brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> I I I love it. <laughs> um, I had so much fun with it. There's only like maybe a five minute section of the entire movie where I was like, "We're lagging," and then it doesn't. You know what I mean? So it's like it's it's almost like you do that too. Fool the audience into thinking the movie is lagging. Yeah. You know um, what I mean? It almost seems like a purposeful thing, which means it works. <laughs> right. <laughs> I loved um, mo- another moment just in the endings. We're talking about the ending when uh, when uh, Jill stabs Charlie, you know, even though they're they're a couple or whatever. <laughs> stabs. You know, he's expecting to get stabbed in the shoulder. She stabs him as he says. He says, my heart. 
which is mm-hmm. so perfect. Just yep. as like broke his heart and stabbed his heart. It's just, just, it's so easy and obvious, but that's why I love it. Yeah. No, it's just that in a way, that's kind of the thing I'm talking about. You can do a pointed dialogue, meta, meta point dialogue that is metaphorical to the character and without it being cheesy or heavy handed, like you can do that. And that's yeah. a good example of that. Yeah. Um, I liked about this one kind of way more than the other ones. Like, yeah, you know, it's, it's all about referencing horror films that we know horror films, but it added an extra element to it. in this one that I thought was appropriate for the evolving scream franchise where, yeah, in the first one, you know, we had Halloween on in the TV, but when they're, like, talking on the phone, they kind of generically are referencing movies or just kind of a couple of the big ones that everyone knows. There's just something really nice about in this one seeing, like, in Kirby's room and in the cinema club scene, all the posters that they have. They're all real movies that they have on oh, yeah. the wall. Of course, except for Stab, but that Stab is just essentially in place of Scream. Um, so just to see that, just to see the presence of all those real film posters, it just sort of pushes it that much more in our reality of actual film history. So therefore just our reality, which is just, again, just helps it, just helps to make us feel the stakes that much more. It was great. Like, I mean, of course, what does that too? It's great having uh, Kirby's character, who's a film fan, or no, uh, Hayden Panettiere's character, Kirby. Kirby is the name of the character. Um, <laughs> the character Kirby being a film fan, when she's getting quizzed by Ghostface and knows oh, so all good. the answers to the the umpteenth degree. Ghostface doesn't even, this is like one of the famous things in the movie, they use it in the trailer, where um, Ghostface is quizzing her before he even asks, as soon as he just hears that it's about what remake, she lists off every single horror remake up until when this movie was filmed. It's yeah. it's so satisfying, and it just, it it's doing something really interesting on different levels. I love it. I do too. I thought that was one of the better sort of, I don't know. It's just such a fun and like pleasing touch to be like in this world of horror films, we also recognize horror films, but we also have characters that recognize horror films, but also recognize the remakes of horror films. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's very layered and very (laughs) astute and like on point with what's going on. And also it's not, you know, it's, it's a woman knowing these things too which is it's like yeah there are women who like horror films too right like let's not be so uh bro club about horror films which i think for a long time was a trope oh her and jill are watching Shaun of the dead it's so good exactly yeah um so yeah i I think all of that is just it's it's exactly correct She's, I love her interact. I love, she's so good in this movie. Like as was this between Kirby and Jill, like as the main new players, they're both so good. I love them so much yeah. in this movie. Um, and Kirby, she cracks me up throughout it. But like um, when they're kind of all the, the, the friends, the girlfriends are in the police station at the beginning mm-hmm. and after the first murder, just another great, you know, always got to highlight the Dewey moments too. But it's something like, 
where she's saying, wait, because I'm a friend of this person, does that make me mean I'm going to die next kind of thing? Yeah, and, she and says specifically it both- because they say they say something about like the killer. It's like something about being a virgin. And she's like, well, I'm I'm not. Does that mean I'm OK? Or wait, is that, was that still- that was in the trailer? But I don't remember it being that way in the movie and the actual movie. It's about their friend relationship. Right. OK. Yeah. I don't remember which one was which that was just there were a bunch of lines in the trailer we watched that were different i noticed oh i noticed also there was a thing of like writing on the wall in blood in the trailer i don't remember that right in in the movie was it uh, no i don't think so a lot of deleted scenes anyways whatever the line it doesn't matter in the movie is (laughs) um her getting excited about or just kind of nervous excited about if she's gonna die next she says wait does that mean i'm gonna die next and um Dewey's response is, no, wait, yes, wait, no, no. <laughs> you know, just kind of. He's like, maybe. Classic Dewey response. So I got to talk about something else. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Um, yeah. Having, having Maureen's sister, a.k.a. Jill's mom, a.k.a. Sydney's aunt in it was a really nice touch just to kind of make, just to kind of not totally lose how the core of the Scream story mm-hmm. is Maureen Prescott. Just having her on screen and feeling like she's she's hurt in her own way from all the stuff that her sister did. I was just a nice kind of, yeah, put her in this world to remind us that all that has happened. Well, and, and not to mention having a, an actor with true gravitas, you know, Mm -hmm. gravitas, (laughs) uh, helps us as an audience to sort of add one more person to the list of suspects. Right. Because, I mean, there was a moment when I was like, why do you cast her unless you really want to emphasize... talking about Mary McDonnell as... Yeah. Yes. Kate. Who's, you know, like, an incredible actor. I kind of just recognized her from Independence Day. I think that's it. <laughs> Is she in Independence Day? Yeah, she's Look, the first she, lady. She, mm, no. That's a different actress. Really? I'm sorry to correct you. So she uh, she is she plays the president in Battlestar Galactica. The TV series. Says right here, 1996, Independence Day, First She's Lady the... Marilyn Whitmore. Really? Mm-hmm. Looks just like Who her. am I thinking of? Maybe I'm thinking of a different movie. Mm. Anyway, so she, um, she won an Academy Award for Dances with Wolves. Oh, okay. Got it. I mean, she's legit. No, so kind of like Cotton Weary in the first one having That's right. Schreiber yeah, yeah. be him, it makes us go, oh, because she is an actor who's good and we recognize she could be a killer. Yep. Um, and her death, so, too, not to mention. <laughs> yeah, through, I mean, that was shocking. Through the mail slot. Stabbed through the mail slot. Jeez. <laughs> it's so good but like that just it it speaks to that broader thing again right like everything has been kind of very diligently thought out and nuanced to elicit suspicion or questions in terms of the broader question of who done it or who doing it i loved the uh two cops they sort of lay out they're talking about horror movie rules and cops in them and they kind of are saying oh well you know it's this this cop who dies or it's the if you're gonna do this they're kind of setting it up as like the one of the cops will die but then to then have them both get killed which does adhere to the rule that anything can happen is just just great 
as uh, yep. Adam Brody and Anthony Anderson are great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even they, they're suspects to me at one point in my mind. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, when they you know, don't, mm-hmm. when they are, should be doing their job and aren't <laughs> with stopping yep. the, that first. They kind of disappear. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rory Culkin, great as Charlie. He's fun. Um, oh, God. I got to mention. What's her bucket? Allison Brie is so funny in this as the publicist. I love her. She's so funny. Her death scene, <laughs> the way she plays her death with Ghost Face, too. So it's so good. There's something about the look on her face. Like, it's very, it's very intense and intimate. Um, yep. She, yeah, and she's, she's so funny. Horse Girl. Oh, right. You recommended it. I need to see mm-hmm. it. I love her. I don't know what it is about her, but I, she's really, really, really good at being both likable and dislikable at exactly the same time. She said she does. It's capture, such a weird quality. She does capture like her and Courtney Cox kind of have a similar energy, which is why mm, it, mm-hmm. it, it was so much fun to kind of put them as foils to each other in this one in, a, in that one scene, especially. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Um. Yeah, yeah. Love the characters. <laughs> Some other moments, just to, you know, say our piece. Um, when uh, Dewey's giving the press conference. Speaking of uh, Allison Brie, when her body flies down onto the police van, dead. Right <laughs> after Dewey says the whole situation is under control to all the press. <laughs> yeah, so fun. Yep. Oh, and this um, just one other thing towards the beginning that did cement the, we've said the word, I've introduced the word, I'll say it again, gravitas, the weight of, uh, just, I don't know, something kind of horrible, but in an effective way is we, we love Sydney, we're happy to see her write her book, and her whole book is called, you know, it's about coming out of the shadows and yada yada, and it's the first movie we see her kind of doing well in it so refreshing you know i was so excited the first attack scene she fucking rules right i mean she fucking like kicks the shit out of ghostface in that moment to go right after him yes all of that was so exciting to me i was all fired the fuck up right so um (laughs) so it was just the win that that moment where they find the cell phone in the back of the trunk and it's the in poster form, the book's cover of like her mm-hmm. young her young face with then real blood splattered over it. There's just something <laughs> so just felt uh, just like sick and just like yep. ooh, don't go there. Oh, Sydney, we love her. Oh, that's so so messed up, so messed up. Uh, but this is exactly what we need and want. Yeah, I'm amazed they. Uh, I guess the killer probably put that blood on the poster with gloves on <laughs> oh because they couldn't what do you mean well because you know they could have pulled the fingerprints right off of it right and then we wouldn't have a movie off of the blood It'd be a really short movie you, you can't get fingerprints <laughs> off of liquid what do you mean what do you mean you can leave a fingerprint in blood why would you have to touch it to put it on something Because there are finger streaks across her face. Oh, on the poster. <laughs> I just, I just saw them as just like 
streaks. I didn't read in. I didn't notice the oh. fingerprints. Okay, got it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, man, Tim. I mean, I mean, anything else? What worked for you? So, any moments you just got to call out? Do no. right a good amount of Dewey and Gale. Good amount. Yeah, of the everyone. right amount of Dewey and Gale in yeah. my mind. They were. I love them both. No, I mean, I think all in all, it's all just working the way it needed to, and it's exciting and fun, and you're on the ride, and it's a very, very solid, enjoyable movie and an excellent Scream movie. Yeah. I mean, thanks for making it, guys. That's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, should we find out if there's anything that didn't work in our next section? Are you ready? Yes, we should. All right, here we go. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I only have... There was a thing that almost didn't work for me, but does... I don't know. I just, as we always, sometimes we struggle and feel like we have to say something in the section. We don't necessarily, but at one point with, because it works so well that the killer is so close to Sydney, not just uh, because they're family, but just the amount of time they spend with each other. But then at the same time, I felt like, oh, well, I'm missing out on Sydney having genuine interactions with other characters you know mm, that's interesting yeah um, she really is kind of yeah that's like, true like she's not really engaging with anybody because there's nobody left for her to engage with that's why it's just so special when she has the moments with dewey and um gail yeah, um, yeah. but it's always like that feeling when I, whenever i I've, I've watched this movie and i leave it i'm like Oh, but I kind of always felt like I wanted more of the main three. But then when I watch it, I'm like, wait, they're in it the whole movie and are great. And I love them. So it's just this weird, like, just the the kind of, I don't know. It's It was cool that they, that they made the twist work that way and made this person who's right next to her the whole movie, the killer. Yeah. It's just that, that little bit in me. That's, you know, maybe it's, it's works. That's why it's hard to say it doesn't work, but it's a sad, you know, that this whole time we should have she's known. being conned. Yeah, we should have known, actually, that it was Jill. In a way. Because there's one really big tell, which is, and I, oh, man, I, I look forward to watching this again to see how close together these scenes are. But I think that the scene where Ghostface is like attacking Sydney and literally saying, I'm going to make you watch your family die kind of thing. Like it's all about family. Like he says that it's like, he's like, it's about family. There's a counter scene to that where Jill and Sydney sort of have a moment of like, sorry, we weren't closer. Like, I don't really know you at all. Um, you know, whatever you know it's like family's important it's a very sort of mirror scene to that moment and it's it is quite a big tell potentially that if you put it together in that moment you're like oh shit that makes sense but again it's sort of an example of just really really good writing to 
have the suggestion of those things without overtly showing the answer. So did you, um, Tim, have anything that actually did not work? Um, I only have... So okay, so I was going to mention the midpoint scene, the the explanation in the in the movie club scene. I think it only only in relation to how it works in the previous movies, it falls a little bit short of what I think that scene is supposed to accomplish or has accomplished in the past movies. Um, it just doesn't quite feel like a a match to them. I mean, it, it doesn't it, have Randy, so does the best we can. <laughs> right. But it also doesn't... So Randy really does, in each of those scenes, he pretty much says the answer. Now, granted, I knew the answer at the time, so maybe I have to rewatch this one now that I know the well, answer. No, in this one, they do say the two, the two film geeks one of whom turns out to be the killer they say to each other oh we just implicated each other true that's true hmm they don't say though that i don't think they give reference to jill being the possible killer if that's what you're saying is missing maybe maybe i'm not sure that it would work though so i get it so but i it just it was one of those things where i thought that i was going to get more from that scene so it's like a kind of half didn't work. It didn't like it didn't not work, but it, it it left me wanting more. I don't know. As far as just total like fan service, um, right? More like fan fiction. I was bummed that the film students they didn't actually get to have their Q and A with Sydney. I would have wanted to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, the only other thing that annoyed me, and I'm not sure if I could say it didn't work but in the moment of me being annoyed by it i guess it didn't work gail's kind of absurd demanding that she be a part of the case it's just a little too unrealistic to me in that she's like trying to storm into the police station or like like go into dewey's office it's like I I don't believe that Gail is that big of a of a jerk and like ignore the sort of obvious rules of the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just because he's her husband. In fact, it seems like she should know better because he's her husband. It's kind of like I just buy it because she is like kind of that person. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. It, it's she, like that is her character. She's that kind of person because, and then why just by it is it's a small town where like where yeah. and, and she's the wife for you know long time to the the sheriff. She, I just see her having like you carte know, blanche. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just not feeling any sense of boundaries because what yeah. you, you have to remember, like when this is happening, this is like new for this town as far as you know in the last decade of their, their right, town. Right. So no, I get it. I think it just made me dislike her. No, I, I get what you mean. And I think like, that's the problem is that I don't want to dislike her at this point in the sort of arc of the, of the world. Right. Because she's come around. Like I like her. I want to feel kind of, you know, some sympathy for her. She's got writer's block. She's trying to find her way. And it almost felt counter to that setup. They could to have, have her being this like, 
kind of an asshole. They could have given her a bit more of an evolution where in the first ones we get, she's still a, a hard-nosed reporter just trying to like do whatever to get the story kind of thing. But it, yeah, it's this one, she's, I don't know. We, it, she seems like she did seem in a different place at the end of Scream 3. Right. And, and, and I think here's, here's what I think is sort of missing and it would have smoothed this over for me is that we've established that she is struggling. And I think that all that's missing is a little bit of personal recognition that she needs this in a sympathetic way rather than in the like angry way that it's portrayed. So like if she she can be pushy and push her way into Dewey's office and whatever and whatever. But I think in that scene, she comes off kind of just like an asshole with him. She continues the 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 trajectory that she started the scene with, which is. I'm going to get what I want no matter what. And what it needed is to flip in that scene. It needed her, once she's in the office with Dewey, to to really say, to like become introspective and not just become the, right. not just stay at, at, at a, an 11 volume sort of wise. She needed to say, you're right, but I fucking need this. Yeah, I yeah. need this. This, this. We needed a little bit of her heart, right. in that moment to, go, to smooth out <laughs> her, her the, the hard nosed thing. Her to realize how she just made her husband look and go, "I'm sorry, you're right. right. I'm sorry. It's just, yeah." Explain. We needed just a little touch of human moment in that scene to round it out and then you can make a joke and have it fall apart or whatever whatever however it ends that's right. all fine which we have lo- seen we have seen i love by the, the way the- <laughs> yes exactly we've seen it i we should have mentioned this i think this is one of the dumbest jokes but i love it so much <laughs> when she says your lemon squares taste like ass and dewey comes out and he says they don't <laughs> like Right. I don't know why that's so fucking amusing to me, but it really tickles me. I mean, how they all play it. And again, um, uh, the deputy Judy Hicks, she's just she's just so funny. I don't know just how she plays it, too. It's great. Well, we forgot to mention, too. We're just going to keep doing things that work. Um, I have another thing de- that works, too. <laughs> sure. Deputy Judy saving uh, uh, Gail, like, like shoving her out of the way of the of getting shot i remember thinking earlier in the movie i was like they better pay this relationship off in some way you, like they better not spend all this time like with these fun scenes between judy and gail and not have some moment later in the movie where we get to feel like they've teamed up or they've like m- like worked out their differences or they've put their differences aside Exactly. And I was so excited when she saves her. And then when uh, Judy gets shot and and is not dead, Gail is like pleasantly surprised. She's like, oh, you're not dead. Like she's happy to see her not dead. So that really felt good and rounded out. I was very, very happy with it. Great. The last thing that I didn't mention that worked for me (laughs) is we didn't even talk about like the very last shot of the film and that sort of last the beat that the movie ends on is, you know, we have Jill is obsessed with, as she puts it, getting her 15 minutes of fame. And we see Uh, all the reporters 
giving her before they get the news of what actually happened. They're all outside the hospital reporting on hero Jill Roberts. Da, 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 da. You know, she's getting her 15 minutes of fame and then In death. Yeah. yeah. And then we cut to now her she's dead on the ground. I love that. Yeah. There are a lot of really, really poignant images too. Um, like Jill laying down in the same position as Sydney next to her when she when she thinks she's killed her and like in the house and then later they are laying next to each other when Jill is officially dead yeah they they're sort of in the same body position it's like they're mirroring each other and like there's a lot of little nuance sort of like things like that throughout this movie it just goes to show you i think actually one of the really great successes of the movie overall is seeing the evolution of Wes craven as a director from the first one to the last one how well just in the sense that like He's evolved as a director with the time as well. And he, I think his skill as a director, not that it, it, I mean, he was plenty skilled during the first one without question, but he's evolved and gotten maybe not better, but like, I don't know if you can say it's better, but he, he's showing his excellence as he grows as a director. And I think, you know, that's so nice to see. I guess I think that there's always this feeling that a lot of directors kind of, when they hit, they hit for a little while and then nothing's ever quite as good. Right. And he's just not suffering from that. I think I... At least not in this movie. What I glimmered a little bit from the commentary was he's, you know, he's just like the smart professorial type who... Yeah. Was, was tweeting from the set of Scream 4. These, the, the repercussions of social media is something, just because he's older doesn't mean he wasn't actively right. thinking about it or could understand it, which, you know, is something that I think is kind of a built-in ageism that we have a lot of times. Like Wes Craven, yeah. he's, what is it, in his 60s, early 70s, whatever at the time, how could he make a movie that's a critique on social media? No, like, you you can. Like, it's... <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah no i just think it's nice it's it's exciting well i think also it speaks to a director still giving a shit right i mean he said it was cool like like the moment um just the little touches where like at the end when the um in the the house party where the other film student guy is with the camera on his head gets like right before he gets killed, he's out on the balcony getting drunk. And like right after he gets kind of scared looking out on the balcony, he turns and uh, bumps into the plant hanging there, which he kind of, you know, which kind of he brushed under when he walked out. And, but as an, when he hits the plant, it's like an actual jump scare. We get the jump scare. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wes Craven, the commentary, he's like, yeah, those are, it's it's like, you got to know what you're doing to get those to play right. Like, those are really, really yeah. hard to get those beats to not just seem totally ridiculous, but to actually work how they're supposed to. Actually, you know, another thing I noticed in, in this one in particular, there are times when they do an actual jump scare like sound cue. But there are a few jump scares that are 
the sound cue is the scream of the person being scared. Mm-hmm. And that, and there is no sound design underneath that. There's no music or anything. And I really appreciate them, you know, not just insidious foring it where it's just like, boom, you know, scream, whatever, every fucking 10 seconds. Yeah. So it's like it it speaks again. I mean, he is a fucking master of this genre. He just is. Yeah. Rest in peace, Sir Wes. Yeah. Uh, well, like a lot of the movies, we loved him for our what did not work. We just end up talking about more things <laughs> that worked. What are you going to do? Well, what we can do is move on to our next section. If we have nothing more that worked or did not work. Might as well. Great. Might as well. Love it. All right. Next section. Things of note. Things of note! (laughs) This should be interesting. So I did watch the little fun behind the scenes on the Blu-ray and... I had on, you know, this morning doing things, the commentary with Wes Craven, a very brief appearance over the phone from London with Nev Campbell and Hayden <laughs> Penetier and um, Emma Roberts. And nice. uh, Hayden had to leave right before, right at the beginning of the, uh, the house party scene. But anyway, some fun things from those pieces I got. I liked in the interviewing David Arquette in the behind the scenes, he described mm-hmm. that there was a similar electricity on the set of four that there was on the set of scream one, which nice. since we both loved it, I like to think was just some kind of yep. Indication they got, they had the good juju going on. Yep. M- right. Mix of new and old, all that good stuff, which we didn't explicitly say in what worked, but that's, true i should say that good mix totally, good totally. mix new and old um so so the other real star of these films uh or actually i guess there's two the who's played Ghostface um as far as the the person under the costume i don't have his name down but i learned it is the same person on all of them and then <laughs> oh, really and then we do have the voice has been consistent roger yes. l jackson as the voice yeah. of Ghostface. And like the line that he improvised in this one, I think was uh, towards the beginning when he's first on the phone with Sydney and he says something about, I'm going to slit both your eyelids open so you're forced to watch your something like that. <laughs> yes, yes. It's like twisted. Nev Campbell pointed that out. Um, but uh, so in Roger's contract, it's, it's, it's in his contract that basically no one can see him on set. But he is always on set doing the, I think, you know, they record other takes afterwards, but he is on set doing the live uh, phone call with the actors as the voice of Ghostface. And wow. he's always hidden somewhere. So like Hayden Panettiere had this fun story. He was like, she was like, oh, I, I got to see him. So she like was staring at the van, she said, for 45 minutes that, you know, she knew he was going to go into. And she like left for five minutes to do something. And then when she came back, it was driving away. And she's like, how did I miss out this guy? And like... <laughs> They'd always set up some area for him in the set where he's like behind a curtain or something or like in the basement. And 
it was just funny hearing Hayden Panettiere said like she kept going on looking for him but can never actually get access to him or find him <laughs> kind of thing. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, it's fun how it's in his contract. And whenever anyone asks what he looks like, Wes Craven will always be like, oh yeah, you know, he's he's long, black, stringy hair. He's hunchbacked. He's huge. He's just like, <laughs> <laughs> just paint that picture. It's funny. Awesome. Um, uh, another thing Hayden Panettiere said I thought was pretty funny was at the premiere, Isla Fisher was there talking mm. about jump scares, Tim, uh, in the second of the stab intros when, um, uh, what's her favorite? When Anna Paquin opens the soda can or beer can. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I love that moment. Right. Isla Fisher <laughs> screamed. She screamed at the beginning with a soda can <laughs> snapped open. <laughs> And um, that's amazing. Speaking of opening cans, um, Rory Culkin in his scene at the end, right when he's killed, you know, where he's all, oh, you know, just do it. Stab me, stab me. Uh, he was super hopped up on Red Bull, apparently, for that whole end <laughs> sequence, which uh, I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> which they all noted, though, that seemed appropriate for for the moment. <laughs> that's cool. Um so also so so two just kind of fun like oh I don't know it's things with direction Scream Five could go so in Hayden Panettiere's contract she had it that she they couldn't show her dying so we see her stabbed twice but we never actually do get the confirmed there she is dead on the ground not breathing shot. Huh. Okay. So she's the killer in five. Great. <laughs> she could come back. I mean, I love her, so I'd love to see her come back. Um, and then similarly, but like whatever, who knows? So Jill in the very final shot of the film that we just talked about where it's close up on her dead face, we do see, I, you're usually catch these things. So I, I'm surprised maybe you caught it. I didn't, you didn't mention it. But towards the beginning of that shot, I noticed it. There is an eye twitch, right? Oh. <laughs> kind of like almost okay. like, kind of like in the famous one in Psycho. So they did get rid of it digitally at a point in post-production. But then Wes Craven was like, you know what? Actually, you know, leave it in. Leave it in. It's just a fun little hmm. eye twitch. All right. <laughs> so that brings me to, Tim, the big thing of note that I'd love to talk to you about. We This is a special time in that not for very much longer will there only be four Scream films where we know there's a fifth one coming out. How would you, how would we, what do you think they should do for approaching Scream 5? How do you crack Scream 5? Do you have any thoughts on that? Man. That is a big question. Hmm. God, you know, I'm not even really sure. I'd have to really like sit down and think about this for a while, right? Like well, you Well, let's see. Let's throw some things you gotta at you. Br- you got to bring all three so the three main people are coming back. We know that for sure. So let's yep. like at least start there. Gail, Dewey, and Sydney are going to be in it. But I'm not entirely sure that you, when you're doing something like this with this much time removed, 
I think it might be a mistake to make it a movie that centers around those characters. Um, this is a hard thing to do, and we've seen lots of different um, attempts at this sort of soft reboot continuation type style thing, like with the Star Wars movies or uh, you know Ghostbusters is doing it. Um, I could see. I could see Gail being the one to just not caring about any repercussions and being the one to just go and want to help with the, you know, figure Mm -hmm. it out. And therefore that could then bring out Dewey who then pulls out Sydney, not because they feel like Mm -hmm. they have to fight Ghostface, but because they're friends and want to help each other. Um, I think that what, here's an interesting idea off the top of my head. Kill Gale in the opening scene. Um, have Dewey implicated in some way. Uh, have Sydney completely not available. She's a midpoint or late second act arrival. Like she's somebody that the cast, the new cast, has to track down to get answers or to try and help them figure out how to solve this. She's like the she she would she so I you know that kind of means like make her the oracle that they have to go seek out, um, and so really reestablishing a new uh, group and connection to the group. So let's say let's have it be Gale and Dewey's kids, you know that. That it's sort of we're passing the torch over away from Sydney, but that Sydney be... is representative of of you know a, a help in in the end. I don't know. I don't. I don't see. I like that, but the scream timeline tries to stay pretty true between the years they're actually That's being true. filmed. Yeah, so they'd so be like they'd... ten years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Oh, you know who else is in this movie? Judy. Judy. That was confirmed. Um, I think she should be one of the killers because rather than have it be as if she was just merely a red herring, have mm-hmm. that background of what she said, creepily knowing Sydney, have that actually be set up versus red herring could be cool. Well, let's also remember that like the real success of the these movies is when they meet the audience so that where was, they are that, right that, now that was actually so my where question. would that be no that was actually my question that i was literally just going to ask you is no no so we gotta you gotta zoom out farther for these movies and just ask right yeah what what is different now about the horror landscape of 2020 for a 2022 released film versus a 2011 horror film Specifically, the slasher landscape. You know? Well, the Halloween uh, retcon, yeah, is probably the biggest thing, right? That that's the biggest event of the last five or so years, as in terms of, a, of big Hollywood franchise or not Hollywood Halloween franchise. As far as like a a tentpole slasher film, right? A marker. Um, you know, you have. Since 2011, you've had the rise of Blumhouse. You've who, had the who rise is making of, Scream Five, by the way. I know. <laughs> so you could get very sort of self 
referential and you know what yeah there has to be they shouldn't call it blumhouse but there has to be something that's an obvious nod to blumhouse like what is you know call it whatever glumhouse i don't know call it something (laughs) right right. um but i'd almost maybe Mm. want to see it i wonder if you you kind of do the scream three again scream three thing again and have it set in or around another film being made. Like, I think it could be cool. Have it be about the stab reboot. Have it be <laughs> about just a, a film <laughs> yeah, being that's made. Funny. That's called stab kind of. It as should in, be. Yeah. It should be called stab, but it's the third it, it's, it retcons all of the movies after the third, uh, after the second stab movie, they all <laughs> are, they don't exist anymore. And this is actually the third installment of the trilogy of the stab movies yes. retconned, you know, something, something ridiculous like that. Um, that's funny. You know, do, do we take into consideration? You know, I didn't, I never watched the scream TV series that was on MTV. Does that play into this at all? Um, no, it's a total spinoff that isn't supposed to be very good at all. And it's, is it connected or disconnected from this universe? No, it's a, it's a universe? total, yeah, it's, it's not connected as far not as I Not connected. Know. Okay, so throw that right the fuck out. Although they can make fun of that. Right, I think you can reference, oh, if that TV show that came, except for that TV show that came out, something like yeah, the that. Yeah, the Stab series on M- MT- MTV was shit. Yeah. You know, like they can, I think that there's fertile ground in a lot of referential, you know, stuff like that. But in terms of actual story, story, yeah, it's a tough one. Where do you, where do you put it? Do you make it in Woodsboro or do we go somewhere totally new? I think you do both because that hasn't been done. That's an escalation, something that Mm -hmm. is sort of a big thing to kind of like what James Wan tried to do with like the first conjuring, you know, they leave one house and go to the other. Mm -hmm. I think you should have it maybe start in Hollywood, then end up in Woodsboro. See, I think what I would like to see is maybe moving a little bit further into the detective realm that kind of they they kind of touch on in two and if you're using that construct y- you can you can leave you know you can leave the town you can go on the hunt um ooh yeah what if the whole thing with the killers is the killings are happening in two places at once mm-hmm. from the get go that could be interesting it could also be interesting if it's the killings are happening all over the world mm-hmm. that it's that actually this is this is not a terrible idea ooh, so we ooh, live I, yes. we live in a world right now that is globally interconnected yep and we have you know 4chan and you have the rise of of like white supremacy and they can talk to each other now and so you can have a global epidemic of ghost face yes yes coming around and you know you got to figure out who is pulling the strings of that who started the 4chan you know thread or the reddit thread or whatever it is it can even just be like a handful of them just in a few major cities or or, yep. or cities with some kind of significant maybe there's 
maybe there's a bunch of towns named Woodsboro, whatever, you know, like, but you're, yeah, have it. <laughs> that would be funny. Have yeah. it be a group. Every Woodsboro in the, in, in the, in the world. <laughs> no, I feel like you're right. That totally speaks to the times. It's a clear upping the ante for the fifth freaking movie. It makes it a very, very big challenge to stop. And I think you can sort of speak to, in a way, kind of like how Bill and Ted, you know, they 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 have a singular kind of goal that's internal to themselves of like we we've been tasked with with writing this new song or this song that we we haven't been able to do. And that's that's pretty singular, like we just have to write the song. But the the all um, spoiler alert, I guess, like ultimately it speaks to how do we connect as a as a species, as a as a world. How do we connect? Uh, we are interconnected, but we're all divided. Are, How do we right. reverse will, that? Not just maybe the question that to put on top of where we're at with horror movies, because this ties into it, is where we're at in the world right now. And I think kind of like the term I used earlier talking before the show is we're transitioning out of a world that's been built on this idea of tribalism where we Mm -hmm. are one big connected world now that just the idea of all working together for one goal and the trickiness of evolving into that or the, the fraughtness that takes to evolve into that absolutely should be woven into this. That's right. That's right. So if you have, if you have a global group of bad guys doing bad things, how do you combat that? You create global unity, you know, interconnected unity to take that down. And to say, no, we're not doing that anymore. Like, we're not allowing that. Um, so the, the, the unity, global unity good prevails over the, the rise of a globally unified bad. And you know who should stop them? The horror movie fans. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I mean, I think if you can touch, at least sort of st- touch on that kind of stuff, because they, you know, that was the thing about the fo- this fourth one that I was like, oh, because it was in 11, you don't quite get the the streaming, like they, they're trying to do what they thought streaming was going to c- turn into, but that's not really what happened, right? Like live streams weren't a, a 24-7 thing. You know, people don't just watch somebody walking around all day like that's never become a thing. But they do watch, you know, Instagram live or, you know, you watch it in spurts. It's a it's it's become more about an input flux of just how many little things. It's like the scroll when you're scrolling. How many things, different things can I take in? Yeah. Yeah. And so if you're you know, you can speak to that for sure. You can speak to you can you can carry on and speak to social media, but I think you speak in these bigger, near global terms. Um, and yeah, I I I don't know. I think that's a good option. <laughs> Tim, I think this is great to put together our little our little pitch deck for uh, our, our 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 one sheet kind of <laughs> you know first get those first ideas to form something. Yeah, I'm I'm I'd be jazzed for this direction. Yeah, well, we'll find out where they're going. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can get in there in time for Scream uh, 7. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> then they'll be be ready for the multiple ghost faces we want to see. I do think it could be cool. Yeah, we haven't seen yet. Like, uh, I think it was Scream 2 at one point. There were actually going to be four killers working together. So, oh, wow. Yeah, the multiple killers thing could be cool. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. They kind of... It's almost alluded to the, this idea that, like, anybody can be Ghostface. Um, you know, it's spurring on all of these copycats. I think that's an interesting idea that, you know, it doesn't even have to be organized so much as just a movement. I mean, though, enough for the movie, you'd want it to be like they all start happening at the same time. No, I mean, that was like what you were saying, these mm-hmm. groups coordinating with one another. Well, I think that you can have you can kind of mess around with that where part of the mystery is how they coordinated and who's pulling the strings, if anybody. And there is no direct answer for most of the movie that it just seems kind of like, holy shit, this is just in the zeitgeist. This is just a thing that is happening like it, it. Somebody started doing Ghostface and it just caught fire and and people are jumping on board because you know, this one video got a billion likes and then the next person said, well, I want a billion likes. So they picked it up and they started doing it. You know, it's and like we have the, that's a really scary prospect. The main and then the main one's Deputy Judy Hicks is pulling the strings. No, the she, main one is Sydney. No. <laughs> do you don't think they can do that? You don't think they can ever make Sydney turn? I think they might. And it'd be annoying and not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, what if it was, what if it was like double blind for the greater good of the world that she had a, that she's pulling all the strings to create very much like, um, Watchmen, what's his name? Um, uh, the main bad guy in the comic book Watchmen, or Vera Farmiga in the new Godzilla film. Yeah, that's right. You know, they think that they're, they're, you gotta do the bad to get the good broad outcome no i went by it for sydney nope i wouldn't either um but judy hicks you could have her crazy saying uh save the world now dewey save the world now dewey <laughs> come to the rescue now <laughs> oh, man. anyway no not not committed to that it's just i just love her um well tim great great all great things to get down um if we were actually making this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a challenge. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. What a, there's a will, there's a way. All right. Totally. Any other uh, things? Hope of for no- the best. Yeah. Any other things of note you have? Um, nah, not, no, not really. This didn't do great in the box office though, which is a bummer. Well, I remember when, when, I mean, it kind of made me think of it when you were talking about, why did I just feel like this movie just didn't exist? Like, I remember when this came out well before I knew you, but I just remember trying to like hype it to everyone and everyone was just kind of like, Oh, Oh, what? There's a new screen movie. Huh? Oh yeah. Sounds, sounds good. I'm like, no, just tell me, just go see it. It's great. Hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. It was, it was weird. I don't know. Just not a lot of, yeah. I don't know. Well, I think, you know, the core audience had aged and a lot of shit was going on in the world at the time. It was fun seeing, though, on Letterboxd, going through some recent reviews, seeing someone who, 
younger than us now, but they said, this is the movie that I saw when I was a kid that got me into horror movies. Nice. Scream 4. That's awesome. Yeah. A lot of fans of it, um, too. I'm happy about. Great. Well, Tim, if that's it for all the Scream movies, not just Scream 4, ready to wind down here with our recommendation for the week? Sure. (laughs) Damn it. No, you aren't ready. <laughs> All right. Mine is... What the uh, fuck did I just watch? I'll recommend Dead. I had already... Um, I think I recommended the Edward Yang movie, Brighter Summer Day, but I just watched the other one. That's like his big one that everyone should see. That was so, so incredible. So good. Called Yi Yi. Y-I-Y-I. From 2000. His swan song film. Uh, it's just great. Check it out. Hmm. <laughs> Man, you know, I don't I, I remember thinking to myself, I turned something on that I had already seen a while back or many times. And I was like, oh, I should recommend Dead This. Uh, I should have written it down. But you know what I turned on last night was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Have you seen that? No, I've watched a review That's on it. That's the Kenneth Branagh one. I've watched some kind of review on it but i haven't seen it i gotta be honest i i I like it a lot it's it's (laughs) got problems for sure but like i don't know why it like really it must have it must be that it came out like at the right time for me because i remember i like i i rented it and then i hooked up two vcrs so i could make a copy of it because i was like i gotta own this (laughs) illegally (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so I still have that VHS copy that I made, but it was on Amazon. So I was like, shit, I want to watch this. And I, I didn't get through it because I turned on late last night, but I watched like the first hour and I still like it. It's so, weird, but fuck. It's, so you're going to finish fun. it. Yeah, I'm going to finish it. Cool. Good. I've seen it a bunch, but yeah. So that's mine. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. All right. from like 97 or something like that. Throw out a little love for a movie that I feel like gets very little love. So people really – I didn't realize people thought it was real shit. Yeah. Oh, well. I haven't seen it. I can't speak to it. Great. Well, Tim, uh, we're still recording separately here, but you're the one with the hat. You want to get it for us and see what we're watching next? Yeah, yeah, it's right here. Do you you have any idea who pulled our last poll, which was I am the pretty thing that lives in the house? (laughs) God. Um, I am the pretty thing that lives in the house. I think I pulled that, but who knows? So I'll pull for you. Okay, so you're saying my turn? Okay. I'm always pulling for you, Ryan. Thanks, Tim. All right, pull... Now. Short one. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Here, I'll show it to you. Piercing from 2018. Cool. (laughs) No clue what this is. I think it's uh, contains some some body horror aspects. So great. It's actually by our our buddy um, of um, what? Okay, here's the hint of who directed it. One film of his we really liked. One film of his we really did not like. Panos. No. no what? uh, <laughs> What's the dude's name who did 47 meters below? Nope. Damn it. Um, 
You liked one and didn't like another one. So the first one that he made in 2016, we liked. It was called The Eyes of My Mother. Oh, God, that's right. In 2020, we hated his film The Grudge. Ugh. And between those two was oh, 20, no. 2018 was piercing. I have hope. I have a lot of hope for this. Me too. I hope so too. So I don't think the grudge was his fault. I know. Same here. So I really don't. If the, I had to guess. The eyes of my mother was cool. So let's hope this is too. Cool. What's his name? Nicholas either Pesci that, or Pesh. That's right. That's P- right. P-E-S-C-E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Cool. All right, Tim. Well, that's it for Halloween this year. I mean, if you're listening to this live, <laughs> a couple more days till it. Anyway, but as far as October 2020 for Dismembering Horror here, that's it. Uh, please tell your friends about us. That's our big ask. If you had fun here watching and digesting and dismembering these films. So in closing, we do thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>